Over the last few years, Elon Musk has been a very busy guy. Getting electric cars to the masses, making reusable rockets, digging these super high-speed transportation tunnels, and, you know, getting in trouble with government regulators. But he's also been funding a very secretive startup called Neuralink. And in July, he promised to finally unveil what this project was up to. So he got on stage in San Francisco. Hello, everybody. There, Musk announced that Neuralink's team has been inserting these tiny electrodes into the brains of rats to record their brain activity. He said the near-term applications are medical. Everyone, if, they, if you survive cancer and heart disease, the odds are that you will have uh, some brain-related disorder. So it'll be like Alzheimer's or, or dementia. Uh, we can solve that with a chip. Musk wasn't shy about what he hopes this technology will one day achieve. Yeah, this is going to sound pretty weird, but um, we can effectively achieve a sort of symbiosis with artificial intelligence. So this is not a mandatory thing. This is a thing that you can choose to have if you want. Um, And we can effectively have the option of merging with AI. This is extremely important. Ultimately, we can do a full uh, brain-machine interface. Brain-machine interface. This is what people are calling this technology. A way for us to control a computer with our thoughts. A form of telepathy that's actually real. And it sounds crazy, like something straight out of science fiction. But it's actually already had real success in medicine, in real life, even before Elon Musk came around. Today on the show, Bloomberg reporter Sarah McBride takes us through this emerging and kind of terrifying field. Introducing us to the doctors already putting implants into human brains and a patient hoping to cure her seizures with this technology. Will we one day walk around as the cyborgs in Elon Musk's dreams? I'm Aki Ito. You're listening to Decrypted. Stay with us. Hey, Sarah, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I think our listeners will recognize you from our episode last season about the brains of birds. You've become our resident neuroscience expert. Yikes. <laughs> that was a fun episode. <laughs> it was. It was. So you you started digging into this pretty much as soon as Elon Musk unveiled the details of Neuralink. Uh, do you want to kick us off um, with a broad overview of this field of brain-machine interfaces? Yeah, I really had no idea how widespread it was, but there are lots of companies working on this, lots of academics. And I started learning very quickly that perhaps the biggest debate in the industry is invasive or non-invasive. So mm-hmm. do you want to put electrodes deep into the brain, which involves sawing through your skull, or just on the outside. (laughs) (laughs) One sounds more dangerous than the other. Yes. For example, Facebook has a big program working on brain-machine interfaces, Hmm. and they've picked kind of the safer route, just uh, Understandably. Yes, (laughs) just on the outside of your skull, but not Elon Musk. They made a big presentation in July, and Elon Musk was talking about what they've been able to do. And he was talking about how they've implanted electrodes in rodent brains and they can read signals from those rodent brains now. 
And then it turns out that Neuralink has also been working with monkeys, which we weren't supposed to know, but Mm -hmm. Elon Musk kind of slipped up a little bit at his presentation. As he uh, often does. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean, but we we have made, you know, a monkey has been able to control the computer with his brain. Just, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) FYI. I I didn't realize we were running that result today, but there it goes. (laughs) The monkey's going to come out of the bag, so... (laughs) I think he just got very excited and wanted people to know that. So he even surprised his own CEO of Neuralink, a guy called Max Hodak, by mentioning that on stage at his big presentation. So tell me about these monkeys. So I hopped on a train to Davis, which runs a giant national primate center. Melissa Lutz Bluen, who runs Media relations for the university came and met me, drove me out to the primate center, introduced me to Jennifer Short, who heads colony management for the primate center, and the two of them showed me around. We drove all over in a golf cart. I saw thousands and thousands of monkeys. (laughs) It was really fun. One seemed more curious than the other one. Sure. So we have corrals for the monkeys. They're about half an acre. And there are 24 of them that are out here. And in them, we have anywhere from about 80 to 100 monkeys. And these are um, breeding groups of monkeys. So they they are mating and then having babies. So would that be similar to families of monkeys? Yes, yes. Yes, these are families of monkeys. Now see the monkey bars? See the The monkey bars they're playing? Um, that's so cute. So this is a little baby coming to look at us through the fence now. See, he, he walked right up and he's like... He's standing. Yeah, yeah. Like so he's, drink, he's drinking oh, He's drinking out of a, a water fountain uh, called Elixir. So, so these are the monkeys that Elon Musk is experimenting on. Well, not exactly. It turns out that the ones that get experimented on by Neuralink get kind of secreted away into these buildings where nobody just (laughs) driving around in a golf cart can see them. So I think it's more accurate to say this is the pool of monkeys from which one day a Neuralink experiment monkey might be selected. The reason I heard about the center in the first place is because you work with Neuralink. So what can you tell me about what you're doing with Neuralink here? Well, as with many of our ongoing projects, um, the research is proprietary and ongoing research we really can't talk about because um, they're in the process of, of doing the research and it still needs to be looked at and to be you know, really vigorously reviewed before anybody says anything about the research. But so this was Melissa again from UC Davis, and I tried so hard to get them to say anything about what Neuralink was doing, and the closest I got was when I asked, so are they working on really cool projects? And they said, yes, and left it there. (laughs) So what did you do next? Well, I knew there were some people who have left Neuralink, and I thought maybe I could find out a little bit more about Mm -hmm. what's going on. So I noticed that this guy, Vikash Gilja, had worked at Neuralink and is now a professor at UC San Diego. So I actually went down to San Diego. Did you ever meet Elon? Uh, yeah, I met him quite a few times. 
what was that like? Is he just very interested in everybody's work? Yeah, definitely. He signed all kinds of NDAs. He can't talk too precisely about what's going on at Neuralink, mm. but he can talk about the state of play in brain-machine interfaces and what he's doing and what the big breakthroughs in the field have been. So what did he tell you? So Vikash and I talked a lot about the difference between invasive and non-invasive technologies. And he came up with this great metaphor. He compared it to a cocktail party. And he said non-invasive is when you walk into a cocktail party and you just kind of put one microphone in the door of the room. So you hear everything that's going on. You know everyone's having a great time. You hear the glasses clinking and the food being passed around, but you really only have those broad strokes. Um, so if you have a room full of people, it's the difference between having a few microphones um, on the ceiling versus having um, my lapel microphones on, on everyone's collars so that you can hear each person speaking. The precise level of detail you can get with all those different mics in different spots of the party is exactly the same as different electrodes deep inside different parts of the brain. So what Neuralink is doing is the individual mics on every single person's collar. Yes, exactly. And then... Thanks to Vikash, I met one of the doctors he works with, a brain surgeon called Sharona Benheim. She is a very impressive woman. She does tons of brain surgeries. She calculated kind of off the cuff about 60 a year, which is more than one a week. Putting these implants into human Putting brains. electrodes into people's wow. brains. Yeah. So she got really interested in this specialty in medical school. She has this aha moment where she knew she wanted to become this type of surgeon. She and her professor were operating on a patient with Parkinson's, inserting an electrode into his brain, and that's when she knew. The patient was awake and the tremor was very, really profound. Um, and we implanted the electrode, and just the second we turned it on, like magic, the tremor just went away. And the patient, you know, went from not being able to hold a cup to just like in a very coordinated, streamlined fashion, moving her wow. hand. And uh, that's I was sold. <laughs> that's when I thought that that was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. That's incredible that this is what this technology can do. Yeah, it really is. But I had to keep reminding myself that because she's so matter of fact and down to earth. And I had to keep telling myself, She's inserting electrodes into patients' brains, <laughs> and it's actually a real art. And we need to get the electrode really, like, perfectly in the right spot, you know, uh, in the nucleus in the exact right orientation. So it's actually quite a surgical challenge. That means she can't be off by more than two millimeters. Wow. <laughs> I know. It is crazy. We'll be right back. So Dr. Benheim was kind enough to connect me to a couple of her patients. And one of them was this young woman, Lydia. Uh, my name is Lydia Budney. I have epilepsy. Uh -huh. And it started when I was a freshman in high school. 
So at this point, it's been about 20 years. She says she's tried so hard to find rhyme or reason to them. Does it depend on how much she slept or what she's eaten? And she just can't find a pattern. So she just never knows when a seizure might strike. Usually when I have them, I'll be going about my normal routine, doing everything. And then for me, it's like I usually wake up on the floor. I fall, I hit things, and it's like all they can do is try and keep me in a safe position where I'm not kicking a lot of things or hitting a lot of things. But it's like they can't do anything to actually keep me from having them. She met me just days before her 34th birthday, and she'd already had one surgery using electrodes to identify where in the brain her epileptic seizures were coming from. And the bad news she got after that surgery, which was earlier this year, was everywhere. There were all different kinds of parts of her brain making seizures. Apparently, I am a tricky case because technically I have generalized epilepsy because my seizures do not all start from the same spot. Like the irregular activity happens kind of all over. So the irregular activity comes all over, but the worst seizures come from just one part of her brain. So for her, the best strategy was to get permanent electrodes targeting just that one part. And once they get inserted into her brain, those electrodes can tell when she's about to have a seizure and hopefully zap a pulse right into that part of her brain to stop the seizure. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. What Was she scared? I didn't even think about it. It was like hands down, like, I'm in. Do what you need to. Um, You know, because like I said, the seizures have become more frequent. Um, Don't seem to be really controllable completely with my medicine. Um, It just got to the point where I was like, these seizures scare me more than anything that could be done in the hospital. She seemed really brave to me, but she had this great attitude. I'm going to turn 34 on the 13th, and I'll already have a computer in my head. I'm going to be part robot, you know. It was kind of of my joke, you know. Me 34 and be part robot. Like, it's an awesome time. So, Sarah, I think you said that you talked to Lydia just before her second surgery. How's she doing now? Well, I've been texting with her, and it sounds like she's doing great. That second surgery lasted just six hours, which would be long for any other type of surgery. But for brain surgery, that's a lot less than I expected to hear. Yeah, It went well. Yeah, it went really well. And uh, she's already back home. In fact, she just went back to work. So... She's already a bionic woman, as she dreamed. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So do we know if her seizures have already stopped? Well, it's a longer process. So they've got all the gear in her brain now that can stop the seizures. They just have to monitor her for a couple of months, Mm -hmm. and then they know exactly how to turn off those seizures. So she's in the part of the process, which will last about two months, where they monitor her brain And then they can turn on the part of the technology that hopefully will stop the seizures just in time for the holidays. That's incredible. Yeah. (laughs) 
If the world of medicine has already come this far without Elon Musk, what is Neuralink hoping to do? They're just hoping to take it much farther. So beyond the realm of medicine and into the realm of what could be considered by some people cosmetic brain enhancement. So things that aren't medically necessary, but could enhance your quality of life, like having an excellent memory or being able to calculate things very quickly mm-hmm. or being able to download a language overnight, things like that. Did the people you talked to have a sense of how soon that was going to be ready? Probably 15 or 20 years. That's not that long of a yeah. time. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. But maybe not glitch-free, like maybe elements of it. Like take that learn a language example. Maybe the first thing would be you'd be able to download vocabulary or you'd be able to overnight learn some portion of that language. It might not be click in 15 years, you can learn French overnight. It might be in little stages. Hmm. You know, the researchers you talk to are doing this for a very specific purpose of treating people with debilitating illnesses. Do they have any concerns about bringing this out to the broader public? Yeah. I mean, Vikash and I had a long conversation about ethics and could this worsen inequality? You could see a day where rich people can pay for all kinds of enhancements that will make it possible to learn things more easily and more thoroughly, and poor people won't. So what does Sharona think about all this? Well, she was really focused on what is and isn't possible and how many misconceptions there are about the brain. Do you think people's expectations are getting out of whack with reality? I mean, you told me it'll be a long time before we have anything. No, Elon Musk makes makes things happen. (laughs) So uh, it's interesting. Um, You know, I don't know what people's expectations are. I think there's there's expectations and there's fears. um, But... um, uh, there's so many interesting, unfounded, you know, concepts about the brain to begin with that who knows. And she said that she told me she'd been watching some TV program where they talked about how only 10 percent of the brain was used. And I yeah, told I've her heard that. Yeah, I've, me I've too. Heard that before. Is that true? No, that's I mean, there, I don't know what that's based on. What percent um, do we use? All of, we use all of our brain. Oh, because I've yeah. heard we only use a small part of it. I didn't. You know, no, we use that. all of our brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, do we have room in our brain to download a language? Probably. Really? Yeah. If um, you could have some kind of a cosmetic brain, something done to augment your brain, what would you pick? Ah. <laughs> uh, No, I, I don't really, I, I don't think I'd be really excited about something like that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Not even memory? Um, no, I can't say that I, I would really uh, desire any augmentation. Um, Why is that? Um, I'm really happy with the way my brain works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's enough noise in all our heads already, and she didn't 
want to add to it. Well, she's a brilliant neurosurgeon, so she probably doesn't need it. (laughs) Would you ever want that? I would absolutely, yeah, if it were safe. um, I I would do it in a heartbeat if my wife lets me. (laughs) How about you? I'm super cautious. So when I got LASIK, I only got it in one eye, just in case. Ah, (laughs) so probably no, I don't think I'm a good candidate. (laughs) You know, Sarah, for all of Elon Musk's faults, everything he does is just so wildly ambitious. And I think this newest thing that he's trying to do, our brains talking to computers That's got to be the most outlandish one. It has to be the one that has the most potential to change the way that we live. It kind of changes what it means to be human itself. You could say that. He talks about the philosophy. He says that in the future, when AI will be so predominant, We don't have to have this kind of enhancement, but things will go much better for us if we do just to live in a world with so much AI. When the robots take over. Yeah. He's talked in the past about how we need to fuse our brains with machines to survive in a world like that. He said that potentially we could just be house cats to our robot overlords and the house cat would be a good outcome. <laughs> but the brain implants will help us compete. Will help us avoid that house cat fate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I don't know. He He's not always the most philosophical. He asked at that presentation in July, well, what if our minds are just brains in a vat. And then he said, yes, that's what they are, (laughs) brains in a vat. How romantic. Right. And what is it to be human? I mean, what is it to be anything? Our understanding of everything changes with every decade that goes by as we learn more and more science. So I'm not sure that we know what it is to be human now, and I'm not sure that these brain-machine interfaces will help us in that regard. But they'll still change it, whatever it is. Sarah, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. Decrypted is hosted by me, Aki Ito. Sean Wen is our executive producer. Topher Forges and Ethan Brooks mix the show today. And Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.